I'm really, really delighted to welcome journalist and critic Leila Latif to the Garden Cinema and to this screening of Kapanaum. Oh, I'm, or I'm in English. incredible. I'm amazed that any feelings of delight can emerge after <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, after that. But um, yes, thank you very much for having me. It was your choice to come and speak after this film in particular. I was very keen to have you talk a bit about your experience uh, reviewing films from the Arab world and just generally speak about the season. And I asked you, which film would you like to talk about? And you said specifically this one. So why is that? Um, I, w I was tempted by Elsit, which is a wonderful short that you are programming. I'm, I'm very interested in filmmakers from marginalized group. I myself, I you know, was born here, but I grew up in Sudan. I've got, you know, heritage from many different places. Um, and to me, you know, I was in Egypt when um, during the Arab Spring, I was in Sudan during the 2016 revolution. And, you know, this is something that, you know, all of these works, I think, are all in conversation with that moment in history. As all cinema is, every film is about the time and the place in which it was made. Mm -hmm. And to me, this, this film only grows in how devastating it is. The idea of kind of a lost promise, the idea of kind of a loss of innocence, and particularly a lot of the regions that we're talking about and the filmmakers that we're talking about, um, these are places with very, very young populations. So like the idea of youth becomes much more prevalent when we're, when we're talking about the cinema and the sort of the promise of youth being lost. It's kind of it's kind of the opposite of like a coming of age. If we think of a classic coming of age, all about like gaining independence and becoming your own person and like, you know, realizing your place in the world. Films from this region, I think particularly around um, the Arab Spring all become about discovering your own insignificance. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's a hard sell to kind of like, <laughs> well, be like, come here in yeah. despair. But, you know, it, it's so true to um, the world that I care about, the people that I care about and the experiences that they're going through. So I think it's it's incredibly powerful. And um, Nadine Labaki, I think, is one of the most exciting filmmakers on the planet. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what I was particularly keen on with this specific selection of films. Um, it was very important for me to tell everyday stories, human stories, people mm -hmm. going about their, their business. And through that prism, try to explain a bit more about the, the context in which they carry out those activities, try to understand what the, the, the history of the region is. And, um, that's what I think that if there is a red thread for the season, that mm -hmm. would be it. So, for example, between heaven and earth, it's a couple getting divorced. And then beyond that are all the restrictions of that they they bear by being Palestinians, but, but getting divorced in the West Bank. So it's not just getting divorced. It's then there's you know, mm -hmm. so many other layers to it. Or um, worship, you know, it's just a dad and a son going to a wedding and then there's the whole context behind the geopolitical context behind that um you make a good point about the, uh, the the context around this film i think for me what i find particularly sad is it's not a historic film is if i watch it now the situation hasn't improved and in fact it probably it's probably worse given the that's before the explosion in the port that's before the economic the current economic crisis in lebanon i'm from beirut myself so i i find it a tough watch and in fact 
Um, I thought it would be one of our most successful films. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, I think it's been more successful and maybe the audience can attest to that, I don't know, amongst English audiences than Arab audiences. Um, and yesterday at the launch night, I asked uh, people what they were coming to see. And very few said they were seeing Capernaum because it was such a hard film to watch twice. A lot of the films they'd seen already and they were like, I fancy watching them again. But this one, I, <laughs> I've had my share. I'm not seeing through that experience. Um, yeah, well, I'm the dark sadist where this was the third time I've seen this film. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it's very difficult because I think particularly if um, you're an Arab, I'm Sydney, so I mean, you know, that's that sort of a crossover of, I suppose, Arab and African in, in many respects. But particularly post like World Cup and post kind of, you know, the Iraq war, post the, post the war on terrorism, you're so kind of used to dark stories about yourself. And I completely understand the desire to go to something else. And I get then why something like Caramel, which was Nadeem Malaki's um, um, previous film, was, was such a success because it's all about kind of carving out beautiful, sacred, intimate spaces within kind of an trauma and not being defined by it. Mm. But I think what happened post-Arab Spring is that there that would just feel disingenuous because everybody was living in this near constant state of trauma. Yeah. Um, and and it was so trickling down to kind of like the younger innocence and, and I mean, I'm not a political journalist, I'm a film critic, but um, the, the, there's something to me that seems very apt in that tonal shift where it's just like these little cocoons that you can make yourself don't really exist. And even you see it in this film with these like beautiful moments that happens between these two children, this child and the baby that he's caring for, like that cannot exist in, in, in a bubble. And in some ways, as horrific as what happens is, it's honest. Yeah. I want, I wanted to ask you a little bit from the perspective of a journalist, what you made of the critiques of the film. I was quite interested in reading the reviews, especially at the time. Um, first of all, I'd like to ask you what you think of the success of the film, why it was so successful in Europe compared to, say, uh, her previous film, Where Do We Go Now?, which mm -hmm. is a bit lighter. And um, I'd like you to address the criticism that's been levelled at the film, or two two pieces of criticism. One was, it's been called manipulative by some reviewers, mm -hmm. namely French reviewers. Um, and the other one was, very interestingly, the reviewer had an issue with the fact that she seemed to she seems to sell the idea that to ad address the issue you had to somehow not address the poverty that's at the source and in, in inequality that's at the source of what's going on but rather encourage poor people not to have kids that's how that reviewer saw it so i was wondering if you could talk a bit more about those those perspectives on the film well i guess there's two things i mean one of the things i guess because in some ways like the black cinema community is like slightly larger that it's um something that's being discussed a lot more about like why is it that we kind of there's so much reward for being traumatized on screen and is there a sense of like broader audiences do just they they love a slave narrative they love kind of the, that's how you win an oscar by being dramatized on screen so like there is a kind of like dark um underbelly to that where it's just like oh are we buying into something where we're almost buying into a white narrative of like look how miserable we are look how desperate we are and in some ways that might prove 
somewhat comforting like the idea of like oh well on our own we we do so poorly and you know there's there's plenty to unpack in that um to me that's not a monolith i don't think the absolute trash that was antebellum compares to 12 years a slave you know like that's not necessarily the case um but when it comes to um films like this that are kind of being criticized for i guess being a little overly didactic I kind of go back to Edward Said um, mm. and Orientalism, where I feel like the classic criticism of anything that comes from this region is that it's melodramatic, it's kind of hypersensitive, mm. it's um, you know almost hysterical, you know, all of the time. And to write something like this off, which I think is an incredibly sensitive, beautifully performed, and just like gorgeously filmed mm. piece of work, you look at so many of the ways where she frames things. There's so many of the ways where you know, like that, just that stabbing scene. And you don't think of beauty necessarily in a stabbing scene, but the way that it is kind of framed with such deep perspective and it's the people witnessing it. And it's that one moment where these people that are just being ignored their entire film. And for one second, we see them being noticed and we see actually the horror of like it hitting people that like what we have ignored has come to the fore and what does that mean for us personally? That choice to me, I mean, yeah. that is incredible filmmaking. And so, yes, I've read many of the reviews mm. that kind of do kind of dismiss this as being like overly melodramatic, you know, a little bit cheesy. And I was just like, you weren't watching the same film as I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the f- what came to mind was this constant, and you're very right to point out the link with um, Orientalism is this, um, constant discourse around women from that part of the world being quite hysterical, being a bit over the top. And it trickles down to things like, you know, treat, different levels of treatment in healthcare, for example, where you're mm-hmm. not taken as seriously because, well, you're bound to be a bit more dramatic. And I felt that insinuation in that criticism of the film. What What comfort is it to a small child that his mother is part of an archetype i mean like at the end of the day i mean that's what i like also so much but it kind of frames it so much from the child's perspective it never takes anyone off the hook Mm -hmm. for the misery that he is enduring and yeah it to me it just feels like a call to arms and as someone who's just been so engulfed in i suppose the disappointments of the arab spring for Mm -hmm. so long um this kind of very much spoke to the spirit of how i've been feeling for basically a decade <laughs> on that note <laughs> thank you it's a basic question uh, yeah. I missed the very beginning but what could, could you explain the title Capernaum please I speak Sydney's Arabic dialect but I, even even I do recognise the word it means chaos um, which I suppose kind of speaks very well to the themes of the film of kind of a chaotic what, atmosphere what it's in Arabic but obviously different countries have different dialects of Arabic but um, it in classic Arabic means chaos so that is universal across many countries funnily enough the French use it a lot it's a, it's it's very much used in French mm. it means a mess a big mess um, it's also a place in uh, ancient Palestine Kafarnaum oh. oh I didn't know that yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a biblical place yeah I, I, I think the choice of using a kind of classically Arabic word as opposed to kind of a one of the many dialects was purposeful because I believe that this film is trying to speak to something broader than simply what is happening in this one country. I'm just curious to see what drove 
some of you to come see this film. If maybe, I don't know, if maybe being not from the region, then might, you might have more of a distance with the topics at play. It's not exactly directly related to the film, but in general, um, films, I think, from the Arab region are often very heavy. For example, uh, I, I can think of Capernaum and I can think, for example, of Farha, if you've seen it recently as well. Um, so I have I usually always urge my friends to watch these films because I always say it's very important for us to watch it and to support Arab cinema and so on. But oftentimes, a lot of my friends refuse to watch these films because they know it's going to be a sad or a heavy movie to watch. So I would say, what would your recommendation be or what do you have to say about that? Um, like basically in terms of being aware of the issues because we're all, I think we're all very aware of the things that are happening. So when we want to watch a movie, we want it to be entertaining rather for us for it to make us sad so would love to have your input on that um one of the things that i discovered recently um and I'm, i'm very very annoyed at netflix for many reasons because like how could it look at my algorithm and not suggest this more recently but the entire works of yusuf Shaheen, who is one of the great egyptian filmmakers are just on netflix and <laughs> like nobody mentioned it to me prior and it's got that kind of sardonic dark comedy, semi-autobiographical, like even the even the moments that are a lot darker, um, you know, he's still got like a bit of levity to his work. And, you know, that is what life is like for as much as kind of regions go through struggles, regions go through all of their difficulties. There's always moments of light. So there's always moments of joy. There's always moments of laughs and love and romance and all of those things. So I, 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 w- I would strongly recommend his works, but you know, when you talk about the region making terribly sad films, I mean, you kind of just have to look to any one of these films and you look at the funding sources. You know, a lot of, they have to go to international people. They have to go to the international places in order to get their made work, their work made. And as much as I think that this is a fantastic film, um, it would be very nice if the international audiences wanted to hear, I agree with you, a greater diversity of stories from, from this region. I just wanted to quickly actually interject. Yesterday, when we had the launch night for the season, we talked quite a bit about, you know, about funding sources. And we did have this discussion about co-productions, the the need for co-productions for the region, but also the way many might drive the subject matter, the way the subject matter is portrayed. Um, yes, sorry, go ahead. Um, it was an amazing film and to be honest I, I'm quite similar to the girl in front of me as also um, I normally don't like to watch very sad films but I am very glad that I do watch them once I've watched them um, because obviously they're just masterpieces when you f- think about everything and like you said some of the smaller moments that you might miss but then later it comes to you and you're like oh you know it's amazing but anyway feeding off um, what she's already saying um, do you think that we are starting to see more and more movies that aren't necessarily portraying you know a negative light on Arab countries and then do you do you think we'll ever get to a point where it won't all completely be like you said like the darker movies coming from that region um so I guess two-part do you think we're shifting to less and less just horrific movies coming out from there and do you think we'll get to a point where it will be more balanced and of course it's good to see these movies but you know like you said it would be nice to see like everyday like other everyday stories like there that would kind of um be seen over in the west um even though they might not necessarily be as interesting as this one to western audiences um they're still interesting 
Um, I think certainly in terms of diaspora filmmaking, there's a lot of stuff being done. Like there's, you know, a really fun, silly show called Count Abdullah coming out on um, ITV, which is all about halal eating vampires. Like there, there is stuff that is like coming out there. Rami, I think, did some wonderful things. But, you know, I think really the more that I've kind of spent time, um, you know, working in film criticism and in cinema, like things are just a product of their time. And you look at 1970s Hollywood, it's so about counterculturalism and the rejection and the death of the civil rights movement and the, you know, the the, the fallout and the trauma of the Vietnam War. And it, and I think post something as seismic as the Arab Spring, it it makes sense to me that this is the kind of despairing tone that might kind of define this era when it comes to Arab cinema. But yes, I do think certainly there are there are other things um, emerging, and um, I hope as the region does better, we're, we're going to be able to kind of have I suppose what happened in the eighties. We're going to have like our Arab Back to the Future and stuff. Well, well, there's been a growth in genre cinema in the Arab world. I want to flag, I've not seen it yet. I'm very excited about it. A House in Jerusalem. Have I haven't you heard seen of? that either. It's a horror film. I it's love a Palestinian Arab horror film. film. Um, it's doing very, very well. I think it was in Berlin at the festival. Um, it's doing the festival round. It's a feature film. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's coming out at some point. Um, and... But I think more voices is the thing that I'm always yeah. most excited about. We've got, um, you know, being from Sudan, we have our first ever Sudanese film premiering at Cannes, an incredible film called Goodbye, Julia. I hate to say it's not a romantic comedy. <laughs> it's a harrowing tale of of uh, devastating stuff happening during a, a revolution. But I think just the fact that, even if that's the first way that these filmmakers get their voices out there and are more doing kind of something that is like speaking to the broader time, once they're out there, I think we're just going to, I'm very optimistic. I think we're going to see a lot, much bigger range of things. Mm. And I was very pleased to see that you're program, programming LSIT for this um, for for this season, because to me that I think that's such a fresh, exciting, interesting film. And it's only a short, but I believe she's going to be making a feature very soon. And yeah, yeah, yeah very yeah. exciting voices emerging. She's, she's great. The filmmaker Susanna Marhani. And uh, we showed the short yesterday as part of the launch night. Um, and I think, to be fair, it, everyone liked it. I think it's worth showing it again, maybe ahead of another on another feature film. And I think it was very important for me to, I already felt, let's be honest, quite guilty that a few countries just weren't included in the season because of how I ended up curating it, how, you know, logistics, um, it just happened that, you know, my colleagues, Algerian, no Algerian films in the season, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say. Um, and... I remembered seeing Alcit at the Clermont-Ferrand International Film Festival where I, I work. Um, so I thought it was it was great to include it. And in fact, I didn't know much about the history of cinema in Sudan, but there is the Sudanese Film Institute. That There was work done there in the 70s and then there was a massive gap and now it's First being reborn. First film made by a black African, technically. I mean, it was a documentary, so it's kind of, it's a bit of a debate whether it was Osman Samban because he kind of made, you know, he made a, fictional feature or whether it was a documentarian in Sudan you know we don't have a lot to cling on to at the moment so we'll take that <laughs> um but I mean yeah I mean the, the history of African cinema is just a, an Arab cinema is kind of made up of people whose filmographies were too short and in this kind of as much as I kind of worry about 
film preservation and this increasingly digital media and all of these things which have issues when it comes to preservation of what is already established we are democratizing things in a way we are giving voices within cinema to people where there was no chance at all that you would have gotten the funds i mean there's a reason that like senegal's usman Samben or yusuf chaheen in egypt were so such dominant figures because who was going to give you the film who was going to give you the budget you needed some kind of you know worthy patron overseas that was going to fork out for these things so whilst i worry about our ai overlords which are coming soon <laughs> um that there's something exciting there's there are reasons yeah. to be excited about all of all of the people that now have access to tell their own stories yeah yeah well we were we were also pointing out yesterday um how it was surprising the number of films that came out of say the Palestinian territories where there, despite everything it was one of the most fertile grounds for filmmaking so out of all the films that I was selecting so many were from there and uh, we were talking about for uh, we were giving the example of the short film Ambiance if any of you have seen it by Wissam al-Jafari and he got his neighborhood to just uh, shine torches down at the towards the actors to to create the lighting effects that he wanted and it's a, a, a short film about sound design it's very artistic it's very beautiful but it just shows a lot of resilience and ingenuity in doing this this kind of work um i noticed a couple of people wanted to also say something yeah over there yes you you asked us um earlier if we weren't from the arab world how yes. how we welcome this film and um, I was just really amazed by um, how she operates, the director, and really wondering about the cast, how she actually casted the children, um, because they seem to be playing so naturally and so beautifully the whole time. So it'd be great to learn more about that. So I think just the the authenticity throughout really transpires, and anyone from you know from anywhere in the world could be really really touched. Yeah, they're not professional actors. No, they're not professional actors. I mean, this is one of the kind of great mysteries of filmmaking to me, where I believe uh, that our lead is a Syrian refugee. But again, and nobody, nobody in this was a professional actor before they kind of came to this film. And it's funny to me because my assumption on a practical level is that if you have actors that they're going to be more at ease on screen because they know what they're doing. They're not going to stiffen up when they have lights and cameras on them. But so often the absolute opposite is true. And you actually see actors, and particularly child actors, which are, who are normally just like hamming it up on the stage in a way that is, I often find unbearable. But like that they, they're able to kind of connect to truth this and just like really get rid of artifice in a way that is remarkable, just remarkable to me. Because I mean, where this film has in some places been accused of being overly melodramatic, you look at this lead actor's performance and anything but is the case like this is just a young boy that was somehow able to do something where four-year-olds who have been put through three theater schools with kind of pushy parents like you know um momagers like they, they they couldn't connect to this truth in in, in a million years so yeah I, I i don't know what it is one day i will figure it out why non-actors can do it better than actors so much of the time and do you know the story of how she found zane 
he was a Syrian refugee and I believe she found him when she was just kind of researching the plights of um, of these sort of very impoverished kids in the region. Yeah, he's, he's not that far off his character, mm. basically. Do we know what he's doing now? Or? He lives in Norway, yeah. is what I know for some reason. <laughs> his family migrated to Norway. Yeah, I, I I read that too. I I don't I don't I hope he's thriving. But like, <laughs> yes, I mean certainly um, not in the situation that um, that that we see in this. Yeah. Thankfully. Well, yeah. To add to that, actually, um, I also read that when they were filming, um, a lot of people didn't clock that they were filming because the the characters were so common to uh, Beirutis, to their daily life. It didn't shock them to see children in that way uh, or anyone kind of beha behaving or, you know, finding themselves in that situation. Um, do we have any, how, how are we doing for time? One question? A couple of questions. Anyone else wants to comment, say something, or even just share their thoughts, yes? Um, I think the lady sitting next to me was asking if there were any kind of happy Arab movies and a lot of my friends are Middle Eastern and I've traveled a lot and the same director, um, Labaki, she actually made Where Do We Go From Here? I think that's the Where title. Where Do We Go Now? Where Do We Go Now? That's actually a really heartwarming movie. I felt not being Arab. Um, it was quite sad, but that's, that's actually a really funny, almost like a comedy to watch and it really does bring to light the, the culture the love, the warmth and everything, but also the sadness and, and the reality of what's happening in the Middle East. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, there are some proper laugh out loud moments in that film. I'd also mention worship. I find worship very amusing. Um, and that's we're actually screening that as part of the season on the 13th of May. Um, so put it in your diaries. We're uh, also going to have a Q&A with the director Anne-Marie Jasser, who's one of the most well-known uh, Arab filmmakers working today. She's Palestinian and she's going to be speaking to us. I think she lives in Bethlehem. So it'll be a, a Zoom Q&A with, with, with the audience. Um, but it's a very amusing film about um, uh, a man and his father. Actually, the man's played by Saleh Bakri, who, for those of you who've seen Blue Kaftan, is the lead in Blue Kaftan and his real life actor father, Muhammad Bakri. And they're on their way to a worship duty, which is a wedding. Uh, that they have to go to and there's a lot of arguments <laughs> on a slightly nice uh, lighter note i would like to say that like when you get an actor that handsome and like you can clearly because they want to make him seem every day so it's just like we just have to put the largest mustache on this man <laughs> imagine the disguise that this is like clark gable level of good looks um not technically arab but i would really strongly recommend the film mustang that came out i think maybe four or five years ago um, you know, it's, it's not a film without its sad moments, but it, I think it's a really, really beautiful coming of age story uh, set in Turkey. And, and, you know, I laughed. I laughed a lot in that film. Uh, yes, please. You, you referred to the success of the film. I mean, I, it was, it was, it's new to me this evening. But I mean, so we were watching an English language print. I mean, can you say, I mean, how, a little bit about how this got distributed in the Arab world, if at all? You know, I mean, and... Um, presumably, obviously, it would be a different print. I mean, can you can well, you know, ha, what kind of receipts did you get in the in, compared to to in the West? I mean, and and can you say anything about its distribution? 
Oh, well, I mean, just personally from my experience, it's, it's, it's very apples to oranges. So, I mean, like I'm, I'm in Sudan, we don't have a cinema. Um, we do kind of like personal screenings. If people want to kind of have films like this shown, it's a case of filmmakers literally touring them around one by one and showing them to communities and doing Q&As and stuff. Whilst you go to somewhere like the Emirates, and it's very much almost like a Hollywood-style giant multi multiplexes like one might expect. Not not the sort of beautiful thing like the garden cinema where kind of things are like carefully curated. So, I mean, it's just, you know, kind of how long is a piece of string in terms of like who is going to see what and what is going to be accessible. The things that tend to be censored from my understanding being in Egypt and the Emirates and um, in Sudan tends to be more of a sort of, you know, things, sex scenes, nudity, um, 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 homosexual things you know that that sort of stuff I don't think actually in terms of um, what gets shown on television which is the way a lot of things are shown or gets toured around is necessarily censored for being kind of too despairing or too critical of the government and that's sort of been the case pretty much since the 1960s I mean like you know a lot of um, a lot of Arab and African cinema has been incredibly critical of the country that it's in but they were still able to hold that that should be seen by its people. Yeah, that's that's true. I think the closest in terms of setup, cinema setup, is probably Lebanon, where you have art house cinemas and multiplexes. I think Nadine Lebakin, the distributors, and whoever was involved in the film, tr they showed it to author the authorities in Lebanon. They tried to show it to... Um, to ministers and to judges and so on to try to get some sort of legislation and ch change on the ground. Um, otherwise, I think uh, we'll wrap it up. It's a v it's quite late. I know uh, people are keen to get home, but I really do want to, first of all, thank you so much, Leila Latif, for joining us to talk a bit about the film and about your experience uh, reviewing Arab film. I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to add. Um, no, not really. I've just, I, I get very, very encouraged. I'm very interested in film preservation and things that get shown again and again, because so much of cinema and so many kind of marginalized people's incredible work is, is lost. So I'm, you know, I'm very excited when I see kind of work like yours, which is kind of playing things, audiences are coming to see it. And, and apparently you can uh, see a lot of things that I uh, smuggled <laughs> now on movie. So, you know, as much as we come out of a despairing film, that's a reason to be hopeful. Thank you very much. And thanks to everyone for sticking around this late. Safe trip home.